This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter with a special episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And uh, check out our live event at facebook.com slash shocktober in Irvington, uh, which we just had our fifth shocktober uh, last night, and it was a blast. And it was fun. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Thank you. Need Thank be- you for coming. Need better chairs. I know. Thank yes. you for um, calling my ticket number and letting me win that yes. Eddie Kasprak yeah, and you got, yeah, I got the one that I wanted. That's so awesome. Which it was like it was it was the last two left mm-hmm. that I got. What was the other one you got? It was Michael Myers. I actually okay. I gave it to my mom oh, to nice. give to my cousin Hayden because he's a huge oh, Michael nice. Myers fan, and I know that I I've told you before I don't really care about right the movies. So. Right, he's a huge Michael Myers fan. Nice, so. N- nice, and not at all terrifying. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, but we're not here to talk about Shocktober. Um, or my cousin, or your the cousin. budding psychopath that he may right. be. <laughs> Just um, kidding. Right. Just kidding. Um, okay, so this episode is a special, uh, our first in what's going to be hopefully a few um, Heartland Film Festival episodes. Um, as you already heard, I have returning guest, uh, Kirsten Leister. I don't know why I hesitated. hesitated like, yeah. Uh, you talk now. Say your information. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, Kirsten Leister. Nice. Um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, burger underscore lurker. That's, uh, oh, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, great. Uh, so yeah, so like I said, this is the first in, uh, hopefully a few, um, podcasts about Heartland, which Heartland Film Festival, this is their 27th year. Um, this is the obsessive viewers. Technically, only there are, there, it's me. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> our, uh, third year actually covering it, uh, because last year we, we didn't really do anything because it just, Shocktober stuff and everything. Um, but we're back to do more, uh, Heartland coverage. Uh, like I said, this is their 27th year and they are grow, like they've grown so much just in the last few years that I've been covering it. It's, it's really remarkable. And for the first time this year, we got press passes for Kirsten. Yeah. So yeah, so that's very exciting. And, uh, basically that's just showing that Kirsten is willing to spend more time with. <laughs> Which I'm deeply regretting at this I moment. I know, right? Um, but this was actually the first time I've even gone to Heartland. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I've lived in Indianapolis my mm-hmm. entire life. Yeah. And I knew of it. I was aware of it, but I never right. have gone. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a blast and it's really. I mean, it's just, it's what we do it, normally, which exactly. is see movies. Yes. So. And, uh. I just get to see them for free. Yeah, exactly. And, Stings uh, like poop in here now. It does. <laughs> she just pooped. Oh, God. <laughs> For our listeners, the cat just pooped. <laughs> Little pizza roll. Um, she, 
it was a good one. It was. And like, I have like the candle, like the wax warmer going and everything. So I, that should it's drown it overpowering. Out. It is. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, but. yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So like this, it's fun for me to have like you be involved with it as well with the coverage because like me and Tiny would go to Heartland and we would like Tiny... Tiny would only be able to see like a couple movies here yeah. and there. So like it's always been kind of a kind of solo thing for me. Um it's just it's fun to have. Yeah, you're a lone someone. wolf. Yeah. Yeah. What now? Lone wolf. A lone wolf. I am a lone wolf. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's nice to uh have a pack. Have have a pack, yes. We are like a wolf pack. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, anyway. Um yeah. So uh, this recording is basically the first, like I said, for the third time now, <laughs> the first and what's hoping to be a few, uh, episodes we're going to release for, uh, Heartland. Um, basically this, this episode is all about the press, uh, junkets that I, that I did the first weekend. So the kind of the idea surrounding this episode is that I want to put out the, uh, interviews that I did as quickly as possible. So this should be going up. You should be listening to this on Monday, uh, the 15th of October. So this will give you a good idea of a selection of movies that are playing at Heartland, <clears throat> excuse me, at Heartland that you can see yourself. So, okay. So before we go into the actual recordings and everything that I have, cause I've got several, uh, interviews that I, that I have, uh, from the first weekend, uh, I just want to talk to you, Kirsten, about the experience of, of, Heartland Film Festival and like how you feel about this was your first day. Yeah. First day at any kind of film festival. Um, how'd you feel about the, you know, atmosphere, I guess? It was fun. Uh, it was, it was good. It, it's, it's a little different being surrounded by people who are not just there to mm-hmm. see a movie, you know? Yeah. Everyone's like so much more social. Yeah. Yeah. The um, woman who sat next to us was mm-hmm. talking to us before the movie yeah. and, you know, um, the people who, all, all the volunteers were mm-hmm. incredibly nice. Oh, yeah. Um, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's obviously, it, you know, it's got a big community built around mm-hmm. it. And you can tell, um, there, yeah. there are people there who are not connected to any films mm-hmm. or anything who are just there, um, to support the festival, which yeah. I think is really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That they're and... reaching like, a, like a real audience. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And like we, uh, at my behest, we took a picture in front of the, um, Heartland backdrop and like, like there was a line like forming for one of the, for one of the showings and everything. And it was just like, Oh crap, are we going to. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh no, now, yeah. now the moment of dread where we have to ask someone yeah. to take our picture. And this woman just yeah. turned around and was like, give it here, I got it. Exactly. It's like, thank you, Pauline. You, yeah. <laughs> you are a sweetheart. Exactly. Um, it would, just, would have just been better if Travis was there with his biker gang. Um, <laughs> oh, I miss him. I hope he's, I hope he's doing okay. Oh, uh, me too. Him and yeah. Pamela or pa- Patricia. Anyway. Oh, yeah, Inside yeah. joke has nothing yeah. to do with anything. You guys won't get this. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, but Love yeah, inside so, jokes. We'll do be a part of one someday. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, so are you excited for more of our? I am. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I know I, I, I told you, regrettably, the timing isn't great for me because I have a right. show that's opening in a couple weeks. Yes. So, um, a lot of my time is uh, going to be dedicated to mm. that. Um, but I'm, I, I hope to be there as much as hell. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> She Okay, we're good. Is it Oh. 
Wow. Pizza I didn't even knocked know she over was the. Doing that. She's been playing with that for several minutes. Has now. she really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's just pizza. God. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But I. But I. I hope to be as involved as I can. There's several mm-hmm. movies that I. I think look really good. So. Yeah. I, I think so too. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I'm so, like I said, I'm super happy that you're that you're excited about it because mm-hmm. you know it gives me someone to tell my stupid jokes to. Um, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and bring us into the first series of recordings that we have um, with various filmmakers uh, from various films at the festival. So enjoy these recordings that were done on October 12th um, at Heartland. All right. All right. Rocking the task oh, yeah. Yep. yep, only with one microphone. I was I was dumb and only brought one, so we'll have to share. All right. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. So you're Adam uh, Lipsius. I deny that. Okay. <laughs> Fair. And your film. Uh, I'm fixing my jacket. This is like right. Fixing my jacket. That's, that's a sad reflection of our society. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm right there with you. So. Yeah. Know, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tent wired with beer, but no coffee. Right. It's a little too early for beer. Yeah. Just, just a little too early. Smidge. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, your film Amy and Sophia is playing here at the Heartland Film Festival. That's true. And uh, yeah, can you can you speak about it? I one thing that kind of stood out to me like when I saw the trailer and was doing my research and everything is the the use of art throughout it. Can you can you speak to how how the film incorporates uh, watercolor art and, and all that. Wow. Um, all right, here. I'll, I'll, I'll hold it. That way you can't ask me any more questions because I've now got the microphone. Um, how did we incorporate the art? You know, I mean, technically it was, it was a huge hurdle. Um, we, we discovered this brilliant watercolor artist, animator out of Portland, but he was a Russian guy originally from Savastopol. So you don't want to talk about Ukrainian politics with this guy. Um, but in every other respect, he was this beautiful human being who was, you know, just oozed empathy and understanding. Um, and it was hours and hours on a daily basis just working through, you know, uh, inventing a process to do this. It, it really hadn't been done the way we'd done it before. Um, he uses sort of a wet brush, quick photography technique. And, you know, uh, on, on the wonky technical side, there were all kinds of hurdles. Um, but on the artistic side, it, it felt important to give voice and vision to this artistic alternative in uh, one of our main character's heads. Um, She had a syndrome, which is, you know, becoming more widely accepted and understood called fantasy prone personality disorder where individuals, and this, I think it's like an increasingly common phenomenon really divest from the actual world for, for hurt or injury and and retreat into this daydream doesn't go far enough but daydream alternative of their own making and i don't i don't know that that's the extent of what happens in the film but it was at least a jumping off point to explore sophia's 
personality problems and potential. Um, yeah, because it, it, interestingly enough, I feel like one of the more damaged characters in the story wound up being one of the strongest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so the art was a way to express that inner strength as well. How, how, how was that? On no coffee. Oh, perfect. Okay, oh, all perfect. right, all right, all right. Then I'm, then I'm going to give you your microphone back. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, so I read that there was a lot of obstacles in, in the way of, of, of creating this film and filming it, and there were a lot of different, uh, different things that popped up. Um, can you speak to... Uh, what I imagine is you and your right, your crews. You oh, uh, the website. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> My wife must have written that. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know. Oh yeah. Um, I think I'm one of her bigger obstacles. <laughs> so she felt like it was only fair. To well, there you go. So, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, so. How, like, how do you, as a filmmaker, how do you, like, you and, and your crew, how do you overcome those things? Or, like, how do you not, like, think, like, oh, this is, this is going, uh, this is going really uh, difficultly. Um, yeah. Like, how, how do you persevere through those, through those struggles and, and end up with, with a finished product that's, that's, that's great? Wow. Um, obstinately. You have to you have to really sort of ignore everything but your objective. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I like to joke that it rained every day we shot, except for the days it poured. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it, and it was funny. The production was. Um, was 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 resource challenged, mm-hmm. right? Which was an opportunity to innovate. I mean, that's all garbage, right? We had no money. <laughs> like stuff that was supposed to be there wasn't there, or was like so Mickey Mouse it wouldn't work. Um, I remember, you know, like day two, we didn't have a location for day three, and so they. So the producer went on like Airbnb and found a place, and then with the woman who we whose house we were going to shoot in found out we were shooting a movie she was so excited she scheduled these workmen to come and like replace her windows so like the living room opens out on this huge road that's like people are racing back and forth and like we can't shoot because these guys are literally installing and it's like four hours down and then the first thing we did when we like went into that room was we closed the blinds because we want to see the road um you know, I mean, it was nutty, bad, you know, terrible. Producer. Honestly, like, I think the only thing that kept everybody going, um, the story felt important. The script was was present and impactful and important. And I, it resonated with everybody on the crew and in the cast so deeply. The performances and the work was great. It was just everything around it was this nightmare. Um but I think that kept everybody going. I know it kept me going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All, all right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and so you you spoke about the the subject matter of the movie. It, it has a lot to do with uh, uh, surviving sexual assault and and, and uh, violence against women and everything. Um, and it is a very it's a very important topic and a very important subject. That's that's. Uh, even more important in our current like world today um 
how how do you feel about you know creating something that that is conveying a message to that that uh, what is the message of the movie and and how do you feel about uh, conveying that I- into the into the the world we live in? God, what is the message of the movie? <laughs> I mean, it's funny. So we shot this film in 2016. Okay. So the, you know there there was no Me Too movement. There was no. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was was just the most powerful man on the planet. Right. Um, he was not yet a you know a labeled predator. Right. Um, and I, I think our message, though there there are there's a clear storyline about sexual abuse and and predation on on a on a moving and raw level. I think the message of the film is is less about victimization. And more about claiming your own narrative, okay. constructing uh, uh, constructing an identity, perhaps strengthened from the adversity you've suffered. Um, I, I don't want to imply that we short shrifted it by any means. I think I think this film, you know, through the through the animation, through the performances, uh, this was the first film um, from one of our leads, Allie Rodney, and and she just. She just breaks your heart on every frame. I mean, I, I think she so powerful and so moving. Um, but it, but it, I I feel like the film is is really God. I don't want to say it's triumph over tragedy, right? Because right? that's such a trope of interviews, yeah. and you deserve better from me. <laughs> but um, but we're not. We don't wallow for wallow wallowing sake. Um, this film goes to dark places, but it does come out the other side. I, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, that whole message of, of seeking strength in, in your most darkest, like, feelings and, and your darkest histories, essentially, is something that I'm sure is is something that resonates with, with so many people. And uh, I'm sure it's something that... Uh, like I, I, have, I have friends who have had had abuse in in their past and everything, and I'm sure that they would really appreciate the the kind of um, uh, the kind of message that's being conveyed in in this movie. And what I noticed in specifically, it's it's featured in the trailer. Um, the use of watercolors for like, there's one shot that just like just from the trailer, just like it just really impacted me. It was the shot where it's the watercolor of of uh, the assault, and it's like. Just seeing it in that in that context in that in that medium essentially is so heartbreaking. Just in that short snippet, so it's just something that um, I respect as as a as a film goer as a as a fan of film. That it's something that seems like you didn't shy away from that or or do anything that would be kind of a like you said like a tropey kind of thing. It's just a very raw, very real thing and a very unique um, style of film. And that's something that's. Uh, I think will resonate a lot with with a lot of people seeing the movie. Um, so I don't really have a question for that. <laughs> just just well done with that. That's good. All right, now I'm stealing the microphone. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, there there are certain things you you'll do you'll do anything to get a shot. Except there's a lot of things you won't do to get a shot, right? You don't want to put people in harm's way. You don't wanna, but I but. So thank you for that because 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 walking that line was uh, was a very fine one and it took time and <laughs> tears and everything else. Um, but I got to say the the response from the survivors community 
Um, you know, we've had a number of screenings. We're we're working with an organization in Denver on putting together a a, a fundraiser screening for them using the film that we would donate the result. But the response from victims of of, of all forms of sexual abuse. Um, has been remarkable. I mean, at the end of screenings, uh, uh, honestly, it takes it takes like thirty or forty minutes with a lot of hugs and a lot of tears to get through it because people really feel like their their story was respected. Um, you know, and I and I've got to give uh, uh, Emma Rain uh, Emma Rain Walker uh, some credit. She plays Sophia. She wrote the script. Um, and she really, she brought an empathy to this story that was so powerful that I, on, on first reading it, I don't know that I understood everything in the script, right? You have to, you have to dig deep to, to discover, but I really, uh, I, I knew there was something there that, that I'd be better for having gone through that I, you know, that, that, that this process would actually... I don't know. Would would teach me a thing or two, and it really has. Yeah. So, and no, no, great answer to a no question. But yeah, <laughs> that, but thank you for thank you for saying that. I really oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's something that uh, I think that this movie is is a powerful testament to. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to say victims, but survivors of, of sexual abuse and everything. And it's something that's it's it's something that. I feel like, from the sound of it, could be very empowering for people who feel deep down that they don't have any power or anything. So it's just—it's a really remarkable uh, film, uh, a really remarkable thing that you, that you did with it. Um, yeah. So, so to kind of switch gears, can you tell me about your history? It's—it's <laughs> it's kind of hard to transition from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, your experience with Heartland itself. This is the 27th year, and, and uh, real quickly, I think we might be running a little bit low, low on time. But um, uh, your experience with Heartland you and how? Else, yeah. Do you? Oh no 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 no. You got this. You're like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so is this your first year at Heartland, or have you had any experience with Heartland, and how's it, the experience been? Yeah. So this is my first Heartland. Though I did actually submit a film here maybe like seven years ago. Totally didn't get in. Um, so when this one got in, I was like, "Wow! Like I got into Heartland. That's amazing." And um, yeah, it's it's been fantastic. It's it's um, it's sort of like a it's like a it's like a nurturing soft hug. Yeah. So you know, it's like warm and enveloping. I'll I'll leave the hug analogy behind any second now. But um, but yeah, you know, you show up in a in a in a place you've never been indianapolis you're like you know there's no baseball team but right. there's football but i'm not gonna get to go see a football game so i don't know what that means um but that but everybody you know as soon as you get off the plane really just they're so excited they're, like this is this is a movie town and i think heartland is be is is one of the reasons why oh yeah yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's one of those like the city itself like I'm I've grew up here and like I've been a lifelong film fan and it's amazing because people don't think like oh Indianapolis that's, that's just you know cornfields and colts um, it's not like anything that's like really I feel like there's there's kind of a a misconception that there's not like a, a strong film kind of centric thing in the city or in Indiana and part of that is just because we don't have tax breaks to film in Indiana but with Heartland and, and other film events around the city it's like I feel like Heartland itself is really growing 
Indianapolis into a, a very strong, like, kind of filmmaker friendly and film centric. Uh, epicenter i guess for uh for places like we're not we're not la but we're we're pretty we're we're growing quite a bit and that's something that i i really like um about it so yeah um (laughs) yeah and uh so amy and sophia is going to be playing throughout the festival i'm going to hopefully get this interview up uh early next week so so i'll make sure to put like the times and everything because i definitely want people to people to see it and i'm gonna see it myself so (laughs) so i can't wait um yeah. Any? Are there any other festivals that it's going to be playing at, or anything? Anything coming up for people that maybe aren't in Indianapolis that are listening? Well, uh, I mean, it's funny. We played Denver. We played Sedona. We won in Cardiff, uh, best Welsh feature. Uh, I, you know, and I, I think there are a couple other festivals on our horizon, but. Um, you know, I think I think we're we're talking to some distributors and sales agents, so hopefully it'll be available early middle next year for you know amazon itunes and all the rest yeah that's great and of course i'll put a link to everything in the show notes of of the podcast and everything and uh yeah well thank you so much for your time and congratulations on the film and and on all of the success that you've had and and are sure to have in the future so it's been a pleasure thank you yeah no problem Hi guys, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, doing well. Um, I only have one microphone, so I apologize, so we'll have to share. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are, uh, let's see, can I get your names, and uh, you're here for the Bikes of Wrath, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm... Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> that was top five static shocks of all time. I'm not touching that mic. No, don't, don't put it near me. I want to do it. <laughs> oh, wow. This is off to a great start. <laughs> You're the mic guy. Yeah. All righty. All right. So why don't you introduce yourselves? My name is Matt from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, by the way. It's a pleasure meeting you guys. And uh, why don't you tell me about yourself and about the film? Cool. Uh, my name's Cameron Ford. And my name's Charlie Turnbull. We're the co-directors and co-producers of The Bikes of Wrath which is a feature-length documentary which is screening three times here at Heartland over the course of the next ten days. Nice. And uh, The Bikes of Wrath is a very interesting story. It's um, Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've seen the trailer. I'm seeing the movie tomorrow. Um, yeah. So uh, it's about your guys, like a group of a group of you guys and like your friends that are going uh, from Oklahoma to California completely on bikes with like while filming it while having like musical equipment too all on bikes um it's it sounds like a remarkable story and a remarkable documentary just out of how much uh how many things you have to adapt to because it sounds like a really uh a really uh interesting track can you talk about the filming and and about how how it went yeah, um, so the, the the concept behind the film was to retrace the Dust Bowl migration route depicted in John Steinbeck's novel The Grapes of Wrath, and we decided that we'd do it on the same amount of money that the Jode family had in the book, but inflated to modern day. So we had $420 between five of us for 30 days to go from Salisaw, Oklahoma to Bakersfield, California. Um, none of us as cyclists or had really trained in any way for the journey, and I think we were kind of blissfully naive that we'd just be able to get on bikes and ride and we'd be fine. Um, but yeah, I guess the film really speaks to the themes of the book 
uh, from when it was written, almost 80 years ago now, and, and looking at whether those themes still exist in America today, things like migration and the American dream and the wealth gap and all the things that are kind of touched on in the book. Um, and yeah, by going along that migration route, we get to meet people that are connected to the, the real migration. In some way, people's parents or grandparents had, you know, they'd all had a story to tell as we were traveling through the Dust Bowl route and it sort of connected us with small town America through the, through the conduit, was, which was the book. Wow, well, that sounds very fascinating. And, um, of course, our eagle-eared listeners will, will be able to tell that you guys aren't necessarily from here. <laughs> um, what, were some of, what, what kind of compelled you guys to, to do this and try to do this and to film it and, uh, uh, like, the background of, of what, how it came to be? Um, yeah, that's a, a good question and one we get frequently because it is quite strange. Five Australians riding through the United States retracing this iconic American novel. Um, but I guess I, I've just been a huge Steinbeck fan for my whole life and I love The Grapes of Wrath. Um, and I read it and reread it and then a good friend of mine who was on the trip, Leon, really enjoyed the, the novel too and we spoke about how cool it would be to kind of retrace that route. And at that stage it was just a bike trip and you know we were just going to go over and do it and have a good time. And then... Uh, both good friends with Cameron here and Cam's been a filmmaker for 15, 20 years now and he, he decided that we should make a documentary and we should film it and um, we should kind of make it more about just a bike ride and, and more of a kind of exploration of America today and how the country has changed since the book was written. So it started off, the seed was kind of um, all about adventure and just a cool cool trip to do with a friend and it kind of... Um, evolved into what it is now which is a film really about our journey but more than that it's about um these people we meet and um their thoughts and opinions on on their country and and um how america's faring today 70 years after the book was published yeah that sounds like i I would venture to say that you're not going to see another film like this in general um what were some of the things that you found without really going into spoilers of course like what were some of the things you found uh, along the journey and what were some of the hardships you guys um endured for it because i can imagine that it must have been pretty painful (laughs) um and and pretty uh pretty difficult to to achieve yeah i mean we wouldn't have even got probably 50 miles down the road if it wasn't for the generosity of people that we met along the journey and time and time again we're down and out i mean i not to give too much away, but I break my arm on day seven of, of a 30-day trip um, because I'm an inexperienced rider and I just kind of vagued out and then I fell off the bike. and you know. But instantly we were in this small town and uh, this husband and wife veterinarian team came out of the woodwork and they're just like, we've got you. And they took us into their home and they made us welcome and they looked after us and they were instrumental in my journey being able to get back on the road and keep riding. And that's just one example of how many people throughout... The, the 30 days just kind of helped us out and we didn't realize at the time that we were doing this thing that people were going to connect to so deeply but i think people were pretty inspired by the journey and they wanted to be a part of that and there's, there was a huge openness like a real openness between us and them and 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 they were part of the trip and that was really exciting and we're still friends with most of the people that we connected with yeah. on on the on the route so yeah, it's, it's sort of lifelong friendships with a lot of the, the people that are the real characters and the real heart of the film. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's, it's kind of... Um, 
in an area of the country that isn't really showcased that much. Like it, you're, it kind of seems like you're giving a voice to to an area of the country that just doesn't really have one in in uh, in media and everything. So it's really remarkable that uh, you guys did this. <laughs> um, yeah, no problem. And uh, so, is this your guys' first time at Heartland or in Indianapolis? I was lucky enough to have a short film here in 2012, and I didn't know much about the festival, but I, on a whim, jumped on a plane, and we just had the best ten days. And so, when we'd finished Bikes of Wrath, we we just instantly like we've got to try and get it into Heartland. It's such a good fit for the film festival like it's just it, it's it speaks to exactly what the film's about and i know that it's the ethos of this festival um and we were fortunate enough to be accepted so yeah this is about our eighth or ninth festival this year throughout the states um but yeah this is the one that we really wanted to get into so it's exciting it's yeah. great to be here yeah fantastic that's great and uh do you guys have any other festivals lined up or has there been talk of distribution at all or anything yeah we're um screening at uh the banff mountain film festival um at the end of the month which is a film festival in alberta canada um so that's great we're screening there uh three times actually um and that's from late october to early november and then yeah we've we've been um well, we're not lucky, but we've we've done well with um, some distribution deals both in the US and in Australia, um, and so it should be uh, broadcasting in the US in in February. I think it, yeah, it's like so it's actually a six part series as well as a feature length. Yeah, so there's a company in America broadcaster that's um, picked it up for the series and the feature. So what they're going to do is release the feature film, I believe, in March of 2019, and then a month later they're going to release the six-part series, which is really exciting. So, yeah, yeah. That's remarkable. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah. And... Oh. In both its forms, really. Right. Wow. Well, that's remarkable. I'm, I'm super excited for you guys. I'm really excited to see the film tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say 3 p.m. Yeah, I think so. Uh, let me check. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yep, 3 p.m. Yep, 3 p.m. at Trader's Point on the west side. So, yeah. It's not here. It's at uh, about a bunch of miles that way. I think we're here on Wednesday. Yes. Okay, you're going to be in attendance on Wednesday at the screen. Oh, we'll, we'll be at all the screenings, yeah. oh, yeah. but I, I think, and go to heartland.com or whatever the website is and, and, and look at these details, but I think we're screening on Saturday, Wednesday, and the following Saturday. Perfect. And I'll put all the links in the show notes of this episode, and I'll make sure to uh, do that. So, uh, yeah, well, thank you guys so much for chatting with me. It's been a pleasure, and, yeah, a pleasure meeting you guys, and, again, congratulations on the film, and... Uh, Good luck with the rest of the festival. <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, that might be a little... Okay, good. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, so I'm here with Paul Nethercott, uh, director of Grateful, the Jenny Barabitsky uh, story. Barabitsky story, um, which is a short film that was at the Indie Shorts uh, uh, Film Festival that Heartland did in July, I believe. Um, and it actually won the Audience Award for Indiana Spotlight. Is that correct? Yes, Audience Choice Award, Indiana Spotlight at Indie Shorts. That's correct. 
Nice. Well, that's great. Congratulations on that. And of course, you guys are screening it here at Heartland. And just reading about it, I, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but just reading about it, it sounds like a really inspirational story and just a really incredible story. Jenny's story is that she was... Uh, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us some background on the story? Yeah, well, um, I had another film in Heartland Film Festival a year ago, and while I was at the festival, I met a na- lady named Jean. She's a retired medical doctor, and she told me about Jenny, and she said, you should think about making a film about Jenny. So shortly after that, I went to meet Jenny, and I heard her story, and her story briefly is that you know she was diagnosed with ALS nine years ago. I think nine and a half years ago and it was devastating to her and it really was extremely disruptive to her life I mean she she fell apart uh, but she didn't stay there she pulled herself together found a way to keep moving forward and so grateful is really Jenny's it's a hero's journey type of story and I didn't plan that ahead of time it emerged but there's even a yoda style you know guru type person that she talks about in the film and again i didn't plan that it just it just was there you know and this person really helped jenny find the way and but uh, jenny's a very authentic courageous woman who has in spite of incredible difficulty. I mean, ALS is a terrible, terrible disease. She's almost completely paralyzed at this time. And, uh, you know, she's kept moving forward and she has a sense of humor. And I think the film strength is, I mean, it's Jenny, you know. She's just a remarkable person. She's positive and encouraging and inspiring and funny. Well, that's fantastic. It's one of those... This is the type of film that kind of seems tailor-made for Heartland. Well, we'll, tailor-made for what Heartland's message is. And just this this inspirational story of this, this person who is overcoming... Has overcome and is overcoming these incredible hardships. And able to put on a a strong face and, and have the have a have a group of people that are that are you know helping her along this way it's just a very interesting and and inspirational story and um it's also as you said it's kind of born out of heartland in a a sense uh which is really remarkable um you guys also did a very successful kickstarter campaign uh as well is that is that correct could you speak to that a little bit yeah well you know as i'm also a producer on grateful and when I think about doing a film, there's a lot of things I think about. I mean, if, if I don't have a good story, it's like making a good meal. If you don't start with good ingredients, I mean, forget it. You know, you're never going to end up with a good meal if you don't start with the good basic ingredients. And so I look for those good basic ingredients, and Jenny is fabulous. I mean, she... And I had a sense of that the first time I met her. I also, when I met her, realized that she has a large community of... Uh, family and friends that really love her and care about her and that are her supporters and and uh, you know I, I I had the strong feeling that we could do a successful Kickstarter campaigns and we did we had tremendous support we had three executive producers lined up before we even started the campaign so we had fifteen thousand dollars committed before we started 
and then we reached our twenty-five thousand goal, and then a stretch goal. So we reached we reached about forty-one thousand dollars on the Kickstarter campaign, and it, you know, it it didn't, and that may sound like a lot of money. But the the reality is, it allowed me to pay everybody something, not but not a lot. But I mean, it gave gave us a budget to make the film and and meet our obligations and hire people to do music and you know really you know sound and all, all, all the things it takes to make a good film and, and pay everybody and I'm really thankful uh, it was a great experience yeah I, I can imagine and that's one of the I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily uh, maybe there's a bit of a misconception <laughs> among people saying like oh you've got you got 40 some thousand dollars like oh that's amazing it's like that money in terms of film production everything that, that can go really quick and uh, it's really great that you were able to you know to, to get that and, and use it to, to pay everyone that's, uh, that's involved and, and kind of have uh, create the film that you wanted to create from that um, and especially when you have a something that has such a such a personal stake and in a uh in a real like subject um it's something that i'm sure that you you definitely want to do the best you can and it sounds like you 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 did and uh and kind of going back to when you were talking about uh jenny's story when you said that there's stuff that you didn't really plan or anything what in terms of like documentary filmmaking uh what are some of the I wouldn't necessarily say struggles, but what are some of the some of the things that come up, and how do you adapt uh, to fit the narrative as it's unfolding in front of you? Uh, really good question. Really difficult question to answer. I mean, I I, I think of a documentary. I mean, it it, it emerges. I, I met producer on the film. Uh, Ic, what's it called? Ic, Icarus, the story about the drug doping, the Russian drug doping. And and that documentary totally changed in the process of making it. I mean, and, and sometimes you know when you're making a documentary, somebody gets sick, somebody dies, you know, of an accident. I mean, the story can completely change. A scripted film, generally, you know, you have a script and you follow the script. On the other hand, editing can change things a lot. But anyway, you know, a, a documentary film is a really interesting process where. You know, like the last time I did a film shoot with Jenny, and it was really recent. Towards a very, we had already had a cut of the film done, and I realized we needed something more, and it completely changed the film, and it really made the film. So, you know, it, it's an interesting process of interacting with the subject, with Jenny in this case getting to know her, hearing her story, letting her tell her story, gathering photos and video footage and so on and so forth, and, and the story emerging, you know, and, and looking looking for, okay, what what is this, like, this, the, the spine of the story? What is, how can we tell her story in a way that, you know, in 17, 15, 17 minutes that makes some sense to people and so on and do it in an honest way and you can do a story like this in a dishonest way and do it in an honest way and i i've heard repeatedly people say well you captured jenny and that makes me feel really really good because i'm fully aware that you know i i we could take the same footage and make jenny look completely different absolutely and when 
when making a documentary uh, film such as this, like, how do you uh, approach like editing? Is it something that, well, how do you approach uh, creating the narrative? Like, do you are you the type of person that wants to shoot as much as you can and and kind of figure it out in editing, or is it something that like you have a, a clear idea and as things come, they just kind of it evolves as it, as it goes. I tend to have a pretty clear idea of. On the other hand, and I mean it, it emerges because I don't know what this, what like in this case Jenny was going to say until she said it. And all, on the other hand, I'd read her book, and I had some themes in mind and direction in mind from the very from very early on, be, largely because of her book and because of conversations with her. Um, but in Jenny's case, uh, I mean, I we had a complete transcript of all the footage, and I took the transcript and created a script from the transcript and then the editor used that script to to do the like the first cut of the film and then I worked closely with Christina Stare the editor and I said to Christina Christina I want your opinion I want you to tell me what you think I don't want you to just be I don't want to just be telling you okay do this and don't do that that's not the kind of relationship I want with you and and Christina had a lot of input and you know structure and transitions and choosing photos and all kinds of details and so you know i i definitely i mean i'm a team player i i I don't like the idea of just telling the editor okay do that and do this it's treating her like a machine almost you know to me is this wrong is this not the right approach i i need everybody's expertise and I, i need their input it makes a better film yeah, and filmmaking is just a collaborative medium in in itself, so it's definitely important to get other people's input and, like you said, their expertise and everything. Um, how long how long did you shoot for, and how like how many did you have like a lot of pre shooting conversations and everything, or how did the how did the shoot go? We had four shoots. The first shoot was entirely high school film crew from Carmel, and I met Justin Park here a year ago in this tent. Or at least in the building here, in the in the theater maybe. But anyway, I met Justin a year ago here at Harlan. And so the first crew, I was the only adult <laughs> on the set in the crew. And and we had three other shoots. And I brought in other people, you know, some. But um, I, I lost my train of thought, to be honest. What was your question? <laughs> no problem. Uh, how, how did the shoot go and uh, how much prep? Yeah. Yeah, so we had four shoots, and we shot roughly, um, like the first shoot, two hours of footage, a little, an hour and a half probably. Jenny is w- relatively weak, so I mean, we just, I I knew that we didn't, we just couldn't shoot a lot of footage. It wasn't going to happen, you know. So the second shoot, we shot, shot about an hour with the mom, with Joyce. Third shoot, again, about an hour, the the fourth shoot again about an hour so we did not shoot a great deal of footage and within that footage we shot I looked for the golden nuggets you know those best like just really important things and uh, so it wasn't you know it wasn't hundreds of hours of footage which is really difficult to deal with really challenging to deal with that much footage but doing a transcript was a huge help to creating a story because it's, you can't see all the footage at the same time but you can look at a transcript and scan through it and get a sense of you know 
all the parts all fit together. And that's, so, that's why in the credits it says written by me. Um, because I really did write, you know, I, I took the text and, and wrote a script and, and, and wrote the story. That's fantastic. Um, let's talk a little bit about Heartland in general. Like, what's your history with Heartland? What's your experience been with Heartland in, in general? This is their 27th year, and uh, they just keep growing. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. So can you speak to, like, your experience with Heartland? Yeah, well, Heartland Film Festival has been a very important part of my life since nine years ago. My film, Bicycle, and I, I, was, I lived and worked in Japan for 25 years. It's a film in Japanese. It's called Bicycle in English, Jitensha in Japanese, written by a Japanese young man who you know I was working with at the time. And we shot it with university students. It won the Vision Award and the Best Short Film Award here in, I think it was 2009? I think it was, or 2009. And that film was in Venice Film Festival in Italy, but Heartland was the first, was the first festival it was in. And I wasn't able to be here, but shortly after that, I came and I met the staff. You know, uh, the, the Jeff Sparks, the founder and you know, the director at that time, and um, many other people that I've kept in touch with ever since. And this is my fifth. Now, Grateful is the fifth film, my fifth film in Heartland. And so Heartland clearly has been a very important festival to me. And to some extent, I think. I mean, uh, frankly. Grateful was made for Heartland. And there are quite a few festivals that it wouldn't be a good fit for, but it is a really almost perfect fit for Heartland. And so, again, I just say Heartland's been an incredibly important festival for, for me. And the people I met a year ago at Heartland Film Festival, and I could give you a list of about 10 people, I mean, most of what I'm doing today is directly because of the people I met at Harlem a year ago. When, so. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, once again, congratulations on Grateful and on uh, all your success. And um, Grateful is playing throughout the festival. And, uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for your time. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, best of luck with, with the rest of the festival and, and everything. And I, I, one of the people I met a year ago was Amy Palshik. Mm-hmm. And I can't emphasize how important that meeting was, hardly enough, because Amy is producer on the film, executive producer and producer, and she is one of the most well-connected, well-liked people in town here. And she has done a fantastic job of promoting the film. And so, and she's been involved with Heartland, what, for 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. So... You know, it, it is our film is very closely connected with the city, with the people of the city, with Harlem Film Festival, with Amy, and of course with Jenny and her tribe. You know, her tribe of fans. So thank you a lot, Matt. Thanks for inter- the interview. I really good to, good to meet you. And thank you. Yeah, good to meet you too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, have a good one. Thank you. Okay, and we are recording. I only have one microphone, so we'll have to share. So, hope you don't mind. Yep. All right. So, uh, let's see. You're here for Hiroshima Carp Theater, um, a feature-length film at Heartland Film Festival. Um, can you introduce yourself and tell us about the film? Sure. Um, our film is called uh, Hiroshima Carp Theater, 
and then it's a film is about the uh, Hiroshima city and their baseball team uh, called Cup, and uh, the Cup was made um, uh, five years after the World War Two. So when Hiroshima was having a hard time, they made this team, and then this team became hope of this city, and uh, as they you know, rebuilt the city, and Cup was always uh, in with them. So Hiroshima people kept it really um, nicely, and, and they tried to make it survive. You know, and then they didn't have money, so team was always weak. But uh, because of the many people's uh, you know challenge, uh, he, he made a many revolution, and now it's a number one team in Japan. Yeah, so that's the kind of story behind, and also we have this um, modern story. Which is setting is uh, 2016, and um, it's a it's a unique story. With a unique story, it it kind of links to Cup's history, and then it it, it brings to um, how uh, relationship the baseball team and the Hiroshima City's um, mir- miraculous story. Uh, it's, yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, and it's it's like. Um, it's like our version of the Field of Dreams. Okay. Nice. Well, it sounds like a very interesting story and, and very um, fascinating, really, with, with all the history involved with it. Um, can you uh, tell us about like the filmmaking process and like what kind of attracted you to the subject matter and, and how like you uh, became attached to it and, and kind of just general uh, stories about the filmmaking? Okay. Um, I grew up in Hiroshima. So the cup was always with us. It's like a, it's not just a baseball team. It's a, it's more like a car, big culture. So it's like everyone loves cup. Like a, like all like a old people when cup lost, they pissed off and then they close the shop. You know, like when when cup wins, they you know go drinking. You know, or some something like this. So um, um, we we want to capture this kind of uh, unique culture and people's emotion. So um, I, I took a lot of um, um, real, real story in it uh, and then merged together within this uh, fictional story. So um, if you watch the film, you can laugh and, and laugh and then it, it gets you to the very emotional part in the middle of the story. Nice. Well, that's excellent. And uh, is this your first time at Heartland? Okay, great. How do, how's the experience been? And uh, yeah, how do you feel about the festival itself? So far, you know, people are very friendly, and uh, you know, it's first time in Indianapolis. It's uh, you know, it's very, it's a beautiful city. You know, yeah. I mean, really enjoying it. Yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations on on the film and and uh, for for being here at Heartland. It's uh, it's great to have you. I can't wait to see the film. I haven't I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna make sure to put a link to where like where people can find the find the film uh, tickets and everything. Um, yeah, and yeah. So, um, what were some of the, uh, the hardships with with making the film? And have you? Uh, do you have it lined up for any other festivals or anything? Um, well, the, about the festival, um, we are waiting some of the reply. Um, and this is actually first uh, uh, first time premiere in North America. Oh, yes, yeah, awesome. so yeah, I'm very happy. And uh, in November, uh, we have the big festival in Hiroshima International Film Festival, and they already announced the award. 
and we got the best award. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Wow, that's fantastic. And that's in, you said November? Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, Hiroshima, yeah. Hiroshima, I'm sure Hiroshima people loved it because it's, about, it's really about the Hiroshima and the carp story. But when I'm, making, when I'm writing this script, um, I wanted to make sure you know, everybody can get involved. So I, 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 I was write, co-writing with the girl who have no idea about baseball. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so now this film uh, get completed it, and then when I show it to this film to the some girl uh, who have no idea about baseball, she can enjoy it and laugh. And also, I wanted to show this uh, uh, film to American people because it's the um, you know the Hiroshima's history involved, and now it's the kind of time we can share this. It's a good story, so we can share this to um, you know American people, and we can uh, we want you guys to see how Hiroshima rebuilt. In a, in, a, in a good way. It's, it's now the time Obama came to Hiroshima and we, re, we really respect that. And now it's very open up. You know, it's a good time to see this kind of story. Well, that's fantastic. That's, that's really, uh, it sounds like a really heartwarming experience and, and a very fascinating um, film that you have here. I'm very excited for it. And I'm sure that uh, that acclaim at the Hiroshima um, International Film Festival, I'm sure that that hits pardon the pun hits hits close to home because that's that audience is is obviously very much invested in that so it's got to feel really good to have that kind of a claim on 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 the film so congratulations again that's fantastic yeah all right well thank you so much for your time and it's been a pleasure and best of luck with with everything yeah yeah thank you all right oh my gosh nice Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm here with the crew from Nathan's Kingdom. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about the film? Sure. I'm Michelle Opitz. I'm the producer. I'm Madison Ford. I play Laura in the film. I'm Olusir Munoz. I'm the writer director of Nathan's Kingdom. I am Jacob Lentz, and I play Nathan in Nathan's Kingdom. Nice. The titular character. Nice. Um, so why don't you guys tell me a little bit about the film and uh, about your experience with Heartland? Sure. Yeah. I guess it's on to me now. Um, so <laughs> Nathan's Kingdom, it's a dark fantasy coming-of-age drama about a young autistic man struggling with his younger teenage opiate-addicted sister. And rather than surrendering their lives to social services, they actually embark on a quest to find a kingdom that once existed only in their imagination. Wow. Yes, that sounds like a very fascinating and, and heartfelt movie. Like, <laughs> uh, the way you described it as a, as a, as a coming of age, how did you, what were the actual words? Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, it's a dark fantasy. Dark fantasy. Coming, coming of, age of age drama. <laughs> drama. Let's just throw it all like, in there. That, that just dumb. sounds so fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds like right in my wheelhouse. Um, so, yeah, so have you guys been to Heartland before? And, uh, uh, how's the experience been with, with Nathan's Kingdom at Heartland? Yeah, this is actually our Midwest premiere. Oh, um, nice. This is our first time at the Heartland Film Festival and in Indiana for all wow. of us. And it's been a warm welcome. We're absolutely thrilled and honored to be here. And we just had our um, premiere yesterday, and it was beautiful. The AMC nice. Castleton Square Theater mm-hmm. was absolutely great. Great picture, great sound, a great moderator, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, all that we can ask for in a premiere, so we, we're very happy to be here. Nice. Well, congratulations. Um, uh, yeah, it's been really cool for me to explore Indianapolis 
everyone mm-hmm. I've talked to about the film, even outside the festival, has been really open to wanting to talk about it, to talk about the themes, mm-hmm. about uh, the implications of cinema like that. And I think it's really cool to go into a new city and be able to have those like deep conversations in a way that people really feel engaged in. And also, everyone in Indianapolis is so nice. So it's always <laughs> it's always good to be you know sharing art in a place where people are kind. Yeah, <laughs> we try our best to be kind yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, Indianapolis is awesome, uh, and, and especially the audiences here because it seems like they're very receptive to the film that we made. You know, our, our film it's it, it deals with a lot of things in a lot of levels uh and what i mean by that it's like you know it's a struggle between these siblings who guess what they don't get along all the time siblings don't get along all the time and we focus more on that that struggle that real life raw struggle mm-hmm. and people have been coming up to us and just saying like wow this really felt real really felt raw and it felt authentic and mm-hmm. we were captured by it and we're still thinking about it and and it's just like we, we obviously we want to take audiences on a roller coaster that something that feels real that touches upon things that maybe we've lived in our lives oh, yeah. you know because I think most of us have siblings and guess oh, what absolutely. we didn't get along all the time right you know but somehow no matter how much we fight we call each other the next day we apologize yeah. or we break bread together mm-hmm. and we start over oh, yeah. and I think people here at Heartland recognize that mm-hmm. so and that's that's another thing uh, kind of to tick another box of things that interest me about the film is the sibling aspect of it because yeah like the idea of like having people in your life that are have literally been in your life your entire life is a bond that's remarkable remarkably like strong and poignant and everything so i'm sure it I can't wait to see the film. I should say because <laughs> I, I can't wait for you to see yeah. it. Oh yeah, it sounds it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> there's bees here in the tent. Um, I love bees. <laughs> I love Indianapolis. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm slightly mortified of bees. So if Come my here, voice Come gets here. high pitched Come here. here. Come here, bee. <laughs> bee. No, this way. We love you. Stay with us. We're losing you every day. It's, uh, it's chasing our producer. Back. Back, B. Back. I need her. We need more, more movies. All right. All right. Back to Nathan's Kingdom. Back to, the, back to Nathan's Kingdom. Um, obsession. So um, can you tell, talk about some of, the, some of the struggles, I guess, with filmmaking or how the, how the shoot went, how the production went, and uh, what brought you guys here to the Heartland? Sure. So Nathan's Kingdom has been in the making for about 10 years now. Um, we had investors, we had um, personal backers, uh, family friends helping us make this film. And it's been a long journey. We're just uh, grateful that it's it's over. We're mm-hmm. now able to share the film. And <clears throat> we'd, we'd film the movie in parts. We'd um, shoot a little bit, run out of funds, shoot a little bit more, run out of funds. And same with Post, we did it the same mm-hmm. way, and that's why it took so long. But mm-hmm. um, we did it the right way, and in many mm-hmm. ways, um, I, I would not do it any differently. Yeah. Because when we first set out to make this film, uh, people said, no, don't make this film. Don't cast a lead actor on the autism spectrum to play mm-hmm. an autistic character, which is absurd to me. Right. Um, and nobody wanted to take that gamble with us, so uh, we had to do it ourselves, our way. Wow. Well, that's congratulations on that, because that is something that's... I can't imagine how difficult that must have been, especially with like kind of having to start and stop at different points. Like it shows that that's really a labor of love and something that's really remarkable. Um, so congratulations on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, can you speak to kind of the uh, depiction of autism and, and like uh, having that in, incorporated into the film as well? 
Yeah, actually, I want uh, Jacob uh, to talk <clears throat> about that. Hello. Hello. So, um, the process of getting into this film was very interesting. We, um, the first time uh, I met Oliver, uh, I wasn't actually aware that it was an audition for a film, actually. Um, I I thought it was for something else. But, um, yeah, I was very surprised that I was going to be able to be in a feature film. And we uh, talked a lot about the character and, like, we did some exercises regarding, like, different emotions and stuff. Um, I think that uh, the one thing that... um, anyone can really take away from Nathan is that um, sort of like need to um, like transcend in a way like sort of it's like almost like he needs to find an escape from all of the difficulties in his life and 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 whether you find that or not, I think we can all sort of relate to the idea that um, uh, there's always something more out there mm-hmm. to find. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think we're running a little bit low on time. So just to uh, – is it going to be – is Nathan's Kingdom going to be at any other festivals coming up or uh, – yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, we're currently now submitting to more niche festivals uh, that have to do with like fantasy and also festivals that focus on autism and also disabilities as well. Um, nice. I mean – the amazing thing, I think, for a lot of viewers coming to watch Nathan's Kingdom is not only is it an amazing film that focuses on siblings and it mm-hmm. you know focuses on autism awareness, but it also takes you on a journey. You know, mm-hmm. there's live action, there's animation, there's amazing nice. uh, visual effects. Mm-hmm. Our uh, visual effects supervisor Alejandro Castro has worked with Steven Spielberg. Oh wow! On Ready Player One, nice. And uh, he's worked on The Jungle Book, which won the Academy mm-hmm. Award for animation. And so we oh, yeah. were, you know, lucky enough to be able to take people on a really authentic journey that looks really good. Nice. Um, and the spellbinding. Um, I can keep going about how <laughs> awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I just want I want people to come and you know watch. Oh, yeah. it. If you're obsessive about films mm-hmm. and love watching films, then you need to come watch Nathan's Kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners, this is going to go up on Monday. Um, there's going to be a screening October 15th, so Monday when you're listening to this at 4:45 at Newfields, and then again Wednesday, October 17th at 12 p.m. here at Castleton. Uh, definitely, definitely come check out Nathan's Kingdom. It sounds like it's going to be yeah. amazing. Yes, come. Oh yeah, cast and crew. Absolutely, want to see you. Oh yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for your time, thank and you, uh, best of luck with the rest of the festival, and uh, congratulations on the film. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So unfortunately, I only have one microphone, so we're gonna have to share. So <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So my name is Matt. I'm from the Obsessive Viewer podcast. It's a local podcast here in Indianapolis. Yeah. And uh, let's see. So you guys are here for Palace, which is a movie that is very high on my to-watch list at at, uh, Heartland. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, Can you guys introduce yourselves and and, uh, tell us a a little bit about Palace, without hopefully without spoiling? (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Each thing I'm trying to be careful. uh, my name is Andrew Paul Davis, and I'm the writer, director, producer on on the film. And I'm Sarah Kogel. I'm the associate producer. And the ending of Palace is. 
Yes. Great. So this movie is about, uh, from what I gather, it's about family and, and, and how disparate members of the family can kind of come together and intertwine in this one central location in rural Indiana, as, as it were. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about the plot and about how, how it was filmed and, and uh, the connection to Indiana also? Um, yeah, as the film relates to the theme of family, um, the three main characters um, are not related, but they all deal with um, pretty estranged familial relationships, um, most of them by geography, exacerbated by other relational problems. But, um, you know, I went to college in Indiana, but I'm from South Florida, um, and I've kind of lived this um, American land disparity you know like families just like we just like move to other places um whereas i think smaller countries and places that are smaller um you uh you're 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 closer to your family and to your kind of your original communal network um so yeah the the film um three three different groups of people um but they're all in the same small town um one of them is uh a college student at a Christian college in town um, and Indiana has a lot of kind of small town college cultural kind of centers in very random areas like Grant County where we filmed um, which has both Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor University in real life um, and the film is called Hubbard University um, but yeah m- my own experience living in Grant was a um, cultural division between the college students and then the the small town residents who make up the other two characters um, and they are Chuck who is um, pr- like around 60 prematurely retired lives above the bar where all the characters kind of intersect um, he's kind of decided to cash in and hit reset of his on his life because of some recent trauma um, with his family um, and then the other character who kind of represents the, the blue collar corner rural Midwest, um, he's an auto mechanic. His name's Chris. Um, he's pretty politically charged, um, pretty far right, um, is scared to associate with the very far extreme, but would probably still, um, uphold a lot of just like pretty extreme right wing, um, political beliefs. Um, so his, his kind of protection of small town nostalgia, small town white America, um, is very opposite of the kind of progressive underground of the Christian college, which, um, Christian colleges are pretty stereotyped of also just being like white religious status quo. Um, but you know, it's, uh, there's minorities on campus. Um, there's minorities in these areas that feel isolated. Um, and one of the three main, one of the three characters within the college group, um, he's from the Bahamas. At the college I went to, there was um, some Bahamian and Bahamian Americans there, um, and the, the Christian college characters are all musicians and uh, make beats um, and rap, um, and struggle to find an audience for that in their uh, little tiny pocket of Christian college Indiana. Um, but anything else about the plot? Uh, I think you did a good job. I would just add that all this while I felt like I'm sort of the Indiana consultant. I mean, he's lived in Indiana for five years, but I was born and raised in Indianapolis. Um, so, 
yeah, I just, I don't know. A lot of the film takes place in, some of the film takes place in Bloomington and then some also in Indianapolis. Um, so it was interesting to see different parts of Indiana as well represented in the film. Nice. And have you guys been to Heartland before? Have you guys had any films here? And how's your experience been this year and in years past? Um, I was at Heartland in 2013, right when I had gotten to Indiana um, for college. Um, I was in their high school shorts block. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I came to Indiana not knowing anything about Heartland, didn't know that it was like a decent deal. Came and it was just like a super well put on program. Um, And that was one of my early festival experiences as a filmmaker just coming out of high school. And since then, I've like not experienced a festival that was as like populated, well run, and just like such a vibrant and curious audience base. and you know, like I, when we got in again, I was like, I can't even imagine having a feature in this because like I, I had like one small short and like a one hour block, and so many people were like asking me questions about it as if they cared, <laughs> and I was like so surprised. <laughs> um, and it, you know, it, it's like a very cool mix of like the Midwestern hospitality thing and like cinema lover thing, which um, I don't think a lot of people would associate Indiana with. Um, so we uh, we just got here. Um, to the festival today like this is our first thing we've come to um, so we're hitting the ground running have some stuff to go to tomorrow night and then our premiere is Sunday yeah I've been to a few Heartland events over my tenure as an Indianapolis resident but never you know full throttle as a as part of it as a filmmaker but I did go to Indie Shorts this summer which was very great well I mean well put on I was so interested to see um, you know what it would look like and it was it was really fun and a lot of great material there so I'm thrilled to see that there's a like a, there's an indie shorts block of like the winners and and um this part now so it'll be interesting to see but yeah it's been great nice well that's great to hear and yeah hardline's been growing and it's just it's amazing because just as as press i just cover it and everything so it's nice to kind of have that in my backyard as i've said uh pretty much all day today. <laughs> Uh, so, so the world premiere for Palace is, did you say tomorrow? Sunday. Sunday. Sunday, tonight. Okay. Um, and that's very exciting. I'm very excited for you guys. I'm very excited to check it out. Um, are there any, did you have any kind of hardships filming it? Or like, it, was this, was this your first feature film that you created, that you, that you shot? Uh, can you speak to that about being a first time filmmaker? Um, so in college, um, between my, like, my sophomore year and senior year, I just went on like an independent rampage of just making shorts. Um, and I got to a period where I had made five in a row in a very short period um, and presented them at Taylor um, through a cabinet uh, that promotes films and culture. Um, and it was like a 90-minute thing. So coming out of that, it immediately hit me like, you got to take the leap. You got to just make a feature. Um, and part of it just like from a career standpoint um we're at a point where like more and more and more people make short films and they're very important part to like growing your collaborative base and growing your audience and making sure your community cares about your films and what you're trying to do that was like very instrumental to having the support we needed for palace to get off the ground um but yeah i came out of that and um started thinking of ideas um i forgot what, what the other part of that question was Oh, hardships. Sure. Um, you could probably speak to a couple hardships, too. Um, everything was hard. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's been 16 months from, like, idea to now premiere. 
Um, and uh, crowdfunding was interesting because we participated in a rally at the, called Hometown Heroes that Seed Spark was doing, and they partnered with the Duplass brothers to find a couple films to executive produce. And the contest went like we're all, you know, it ended up being like 72 films across America crowdfunding at the same time, competing for follower counts. So it's like hit follow on my campaigning. It's basically like a subscription to our email list. Um, so I, w- I went crazy a year ago trolling Indiana fairs, college campuses I'd never been to, Wendy's, GameStop, just trying to talk to anyone to like get them to hit follow on this campaign to get a shot at executive producing by the Duplass brothers. But we made the top 10 to be necessary to qualify for it. Um, they ended up choosing two other films, one of them being an out-of-state film, The, Mis- the Miseducation of Bindu, which just filmed in India this summer. Um, so we did not uh, win that competition, but we came out of it with 2,700 followers with, um, and a successfully crowdfunded campaign. Um, th- th- that, that was just like a very hard, like, selling your soul to social media and solicitation kind of thing. Um, I'm still getting over it. Um, but it, like it really introduced me to the idea of, um, you need to have an audience before you make your film, you know, and not try to like find the people afterwards. You're, you're going to, that's part of the marketing, but you have to start like as soon as you're starting the script, um, crowdfunding can be a really cool way to bring people in that process. Um, you could speak to production, but at least for post-production, um, I was like pretty alone in that process. Can't really like hire out help, so th- um, it's kind of just like five or six months of trying to get peanut butter off a spoon. Just like it's you're trying to like fix the audio as much as you can with the resources you have, um, and um, yeah, just just trying to edit a film by yourself there's a reason why there's teams of people in Hollywood who like do specific parts um, but I sent the cut to trusted colleagues and got great feedback that was a very important part of that process um, and we, we had issues with our first DCP we sent to Heartland um, I had to correct those a couple weeks ago and um, so I hope it plays okay <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of like not having that budget benefit of being able to test your DCP, um, but yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Everyone, let us know if you think it's good. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, as for drink production, I would say that just the entire experience of making a first feature film was both hard and inspiring. Um, just being able from being able to see all that Andrew did and also what I did on my part just like all the locations every sort of legal release that we had to handle making sure that um, you know talent releases were signed location releases a litany of things sometimes you don't get something signed and then you have to digitally send it to them and then make sure that they send it back to you so uh, I think I watch not to be cheesy but I think I when I watch feature films since being a part of one I have a lot more respect for the inner workings and the process um, and just, I mean, the thousands of steps that it takes to get it to where it is now. So, um, you know, nothing super stands out as, as hard except for just the entire, all the small steps. But it's worth it. Nice. Well, congratulations to you, to you both on, on the film and for, you know, everything. <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited to see the movie. And uh, I'm sure that the premiere is going to go perfectly. 
yeah, I've got my fingers crossed for you guys. Um, yeah, but yeah, thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, can't wait for the film. Uh, well, my name is Matt, and I'm from the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for sitting with me and, and chatting with me about about all the stuff that you have going on. Uh, so, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us about the the films that you have here at Heartland this year? Sure. So, my name is Doug Blush. Uh, I've been doing documentary film for 30 years now, probably ever since I got out of school. And uh, it's come to the point now where I, I, I have tricky times sometimes saying what I do, but. I started as a sound engineer, moved into cinematography, and I was I was a, a DP for years. Uh, and then as the editing revolution came in with Final Cut and all the digital tools, I became more and more of an editor and then uh, really stayed with editing for a long time, still do. Uh, I'm still known uh, a lot as an editor. I've done some, some pretty big films as an editor. Uh, but in the last probably five years, I've kind of moved into producing. And it's not the usual, like, keeping a spreadsheet and, and doling out money kind of producing. It's more what they call now creative producing, which is handling all those elements that need somebody who's been through it, somebody who knows the the world out there of the festivals and the distributors and also can can make creative decisions on the film and help uh, the crew to bring in the right people and to get the job done so that's that, everything and including directing i always mention directing last because i direct when i have to i direct sure. when i need to but it's not actually my favorite thing you know i, I i've directed um or co-directed five films now and I don't consider that the, the, the most important thing I do. I, I do it sometimes, and I'm planning to direct again. But really, it's creative producing and editing that I think are the most valuable things. Yeah, That's fantastic. I feel like producing uh, specifically is something that's, that can be kind of overlooked um, because it's, <laughs> it kind of seems like producer is kind of a catch-all of like putting out fires all across the every stage of the filmmaking process so it's something that i really admire uh when because without a good producer you know a whole production could just kind of fall apart um so it's just it's it's interesting to meet someone who like who thrives in that in that arena um so you've got you've got four films here um you uh were the producer on mr soul which was the opening night film last night and uh then you also have phil's camino which i i definitely want to talk to you about that because it's a very interesting and and sounds like a very um emotionally driven kind of story uh can you speak to that and uh kind of run down the the plot of phil's camino absolutely well i phil's camino is one of those amazing films that comes out of a lucky circumstance where the director, Annie O'Neill, and I uh, had been friends because we took our dogs to the same dog park all the time. <laughs> and we got to be really close, just bonding over our puppies. And conversation would strike up about what each of us was doing. And I, I was doing a lot of documentaries at the time. And she had been the star or the co-star of a of a documentary called Walking the Camino. She's actually a Camino traveler on the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain, uh, which is known around the world as one of the great quests, as one of the great uh, great you know p- pilgrimages that people make. And so she she had been in that film. She had a great story, but she had met somebody who absolutely blew her away in terms of of a story to tell. And she realized she had to make that story as well. And that was, that was Phil Volker, who lives on an island just off of Seattle, uh, Vashon Island, and had been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, which is not a good thing, you know, and it is, is really a difficult thing to deal with. But Phil is a really unique guy in that he, he took that as a sign that he needed to 
get his priorities just where, where they should be. And he'd always wanted to walk the Camino Santiago, but he couldn't now because he had this going on. So I won't say too much because I don't want to ruin uh, the, the surprises in the film, sure. but Phil essentially decided to make his own personal Camino. He decided to go on a journey that would get him through the things he was facing. And I think people are so brought into that because everybody faces something, and a lot of people face this specific problem. When you're when you're faced with this, what do you do? What do do you fold up and 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 just check out, or do you really get engaged with life? And the answer in our film, I think, will make a lot of people happy. Yeah. Nice, that's great, and it sounds like just a really inspirational story itself. Um, kind of to talk a little bit in in broad terms about about documentary filmmaking. Like you you said that you've been in the business for upwards of 30 years now what is it that attracts you to documentary filmmaking as opposed to like narrative features or narrative filmmaking or like what what what's the pull for for documentaries well can i say not the money <laughs> no 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 that's that's weirdly enough that's that's not as true anymore because uh we're making a fine living doing documentaries and i only do documentary films i uh, people have approached me with narrative films uh to edit and to to help produce and i will do some of that sometimes but i i for the most part documentary is so thrilling right now there's so much going on you see the explosion going on with netflix and hulu and amazon and apple's coming out with stuff uh, as well as hbo and showtime and all these there's so many places to go now uh pbs has stepped their game up way up and all the stuff on pbs is great uh two major shows and a lot of other programs that are showing docs so it's it's a golden time to be sure but when when i started really moving to doc is because i love doc uh, I was inspired by docs in film school. I went to film school thinking, like most people, that you'd be the next Spielberg right. and you know, you'd direct big Hollywood movies. Um, but I discovered how much I loved documentary while I was in film school. And I, I could feel the shift already happening even while I was still in film school. And I did work in narrative fiction film for years. I actually, weirdly enough, um, got on as different forms of camera and also uh, as a behind-the-scenes documentarian. So I did those HBO behind-the-scenes documentaries on things like Independence Day and Titanic and uh, Dante's Peak. And, you know, these were big 90s films. So I got to see that kind of filmmaking. And the thing that really got to me was I was having more fun documenting them than I would have had making the film itself. And I think that's part of the, the clue that documentary was really what I wanted to do. Uh, I know we have a special guest here at uh, Heartland, Galen Hurd. I worked with Galen Hurd for years. Oh yeah. On Galen Hurd films, yeah. So it's going to be fun seeing her again. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, and it's funny because I don't, I don't know if this is what is specifically you were referring to, but the Independence Day HBO first look, uh, like that's one of the. I'm I'm 32 now, so like when that came out, I was a kid, and like I remember seeing that first look thing, and like that was one of the like first times where I was like, oh, this is how films are made. This is how they did that. And it's like. Like, it was just kind of mind-blowing to me. So, so yeah, it's just I, I have an appreciation for that kind of thing, too. Um, when you said that you, you were kind of feeling that shift toward documentary filmmaking, is there any, like, one documentary or one documentarian that you see as, like, the defining, like, oh, this is, this is what caused me to want to do documentary films? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, it's two things. One is a film... Uh, which I hope everybody sees. It's kind of one of those bucket list films that if you haven't seen it, see it, and if you have, see it again. Um, it's called Sherman's March, and it's a film by Ross McElwee, 
who's now a professor at Harvard and and is considered one of the greats of documentary of the late 20th century. Uh, but it's it's a story of this guy who is given a grant by the government to go make a film about Sherman's March to the Sea. It's like a Civil War film for PBS. And what he does with the money, instead of making some like sober movie about you know history, he goes and basically has romantic adventures all over the, the deep south and visits <laughs> ex girlfriends and and old old uh, old pals and his ex teacher and all all these wonderful characters. And he's he he actually spends half the movie worrying that he's not doing the film he should be doing, but the results are so wonderfully hilarious, and they're 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 also uh, very touching because he's he's concerned about the future of the world, he's concerned about nuclear war, all these things, and the movie is so much better than it would have been if he'd made the film he was supposed to make. Um, it's considered a total classic of documentary now. It's an epic journey of a guy trying to get his romantic life in shape and also figure his whole situation out. And it inspired me because it wasn't... Documentary at that point was, well, here, here is the albatross of the Northern Territories, and look at it laying its eggs. And it's, that, nobody really wanted to get that deep into it. There have been great docs before. It's a huge fan of the Maisels and, and um, Frederick Wiseman and those those great filmmakers. But that film really shook things loose and made the personal journey much more acceptable in, in documentary. And I, I took a lot of inspiration for that. So I always looked for humor in docs. I always looked for strange stories. And now you have you know NPR radio shows that are that are you know storytelling. Oh, yeah. And documentary turned towards storytelling at that point. And I've always really pushed for that. I've always looked for that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I haven't seen that. What was it? What was it called again? It's called Sherman's March. Sherman's yeah, it's, March. it's available yeah. around. Okay. It's considered a doc classic. Mm-hmm. The other nice. thing that happened, you know, when I was at USC Film School, I started dating a documentary filmmaker, oh, okay. and she taught me so much about the real world that we we were so desperately trying to not make with our the fantastical films. Right. And I said, "Wow, you know, reality is a lot more interesting than uh, than our fictions that we seem to be making." So I think she turned my head, and okay. uh, we're still friends. And she's she's an amazing filmmaker, and I. Um, I, I think that that was the turning point too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and so, uh, going back to kind of what's what's showing here at Heartland, um, what what are all the movies that you're showing in, in addition to Mr. Soul and uh, Phil's Camino? Yeah, besides those two, we also have a film called Hillbilly, which is a documentary about the truth about Appalachia and and the people who are a lot of times derisively called hillbillies. And it's it's fascinating because it really opens your eyes about why. There have been so many misunderstandings about the culture, why there's this stigma, um, and the abuses that that section of the country went through, uh, through the years from surprising places. And it also, obviously, it touches on the recent election. It, t- it touches on, you know, this idea of, of this candidate's country versus that candidate's country. And it, it comes out with a much better understanding of maybe who we are all as a people and how we can maybe bridge those gaps. And I, it's been doing really well everywhere we've shown it. And we're really excited to bring it here because I know it'll it'll talk to some issues of this part of the country, and it, it's it's very um, it's it's very en- enriching film. I mean, it's funny and it's unexpected, and people come out of it just with a different understanding of something they thought they maybe knew but didn't really. Yeah. 
and see that's the kind of documentary that I I gravitate towards is like shedding shedding a, a light on another culture that I'm not familiar with is like something that's just really really uh, speaks to my interest because I mean I'm a podcaster in Indianapolis I don't I don't have like like the knowledge base that I would like and that's where documentaries kind of really come in and shine so I'm excited to check that out and then you also have one other one here there's another one that I, I consulted on called United Skates which is about it's almost exactly the opposite side of the country an opposite situation it's about the the history and the the joy of african-american roller skating and roller skating smackdowns and and challenges and also the situation where these places these roller rinks are beginning to disappear and the fact that these these community centers for especially for the african-american community are starting to become rarer and rarer and it, it focuses in specifically on one place in, in south central los angeles which is a community center and and the challenges of keeping it going uh and you know a, a young mother's struggle with her children to keep keep a place that matters to them going it's really really a great film um it, it did very well at a lot of festivals uh, we opened it up at, at uh, tribeca and it's now um it's now going to be on hbo at some point fairly soon oh, that's um fantastic. But it's um, it's really a it's a special story. It's uh, it, it's one of those things again. You'll you'll come out of it feeling like you've learned something really new. That's awesome. I'm very excited to check that one out as well. Um, and kind of to kind of wind things down, how do you feel about Heartland and how's how's Heartland been the experience? And um, I forget have you have you been here before? Okay, yes. Uh, and just how's how how do you feel about Heartland in general? Well, I, I asked actually the the staff last night to. to reach back into history and I think I've had films here since at least 2011 oh, wow. uh, and almost every year uh, I haven't come every year just because it's you know the, the, we're always working on new films yeah. but the last couple of years I have made it here uh, my wife and I had a film that we, we produced and directed together called The S Word here last year okay. and we both came on different weekends because we had our <laughs> daughter to take care of uh, but I love Heartland I, I love the spirit here um, a big shout out to Greg Sorvig who does oh, yeah. such a great job with this festival oh, yeah. um, and his programming choices I think are, are, are inclusive and wide and really smart um, and there's a real spirit here. It's like I, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. So coming here is basically coming home for me. Right. And I, I have friends in Indy. Uh, I, I love the fall climate here. It reminds me of what it's like to have fall, which we don't have in Los Angeles. We just have fires, you know. Um, and, and at this point, it's, it, it, I, I put it on my sort of must-do-if-I-can list of festivals. It's one of my favorite in the country. And uh, so many great films come here, and so many people launch their careers here, too. Oh, a lot absolutely. of people start here. So um, that combined with a really good craft beer uh, uh, maker, I think that's pretty much what I need in a festival. And, uh, yeah, it's a terrific place, and I, I will come back as many times as I can. Nice. Well, we're definitely happy to have you here in Indianapolis. And, uh, yeah, I echo all that. Heartland's amazing. Um, I've been covering it for the past four years, I guess. Um, it's just it's so welcoming and so so great. And you talked about, like, Greg and, and the the, uh, the curating of all the films and everything, and, like, how it's all inclusive. Like, they're, this year, like, 50% of the films have been dir- were directed by women, which I think is just phenomenal. It's incredible. Yeah. So, going on, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very exciting. Well, thank you so much for your time, and congratulations on all the films and, and everything, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of the festival, and uh, can't wait to see, see your work. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Come on out to the festival, yeah. everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, my name is Matt. I'm from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, which is a local podcast from here in Indianapolis. Um, so, yeah. So, I've already forgotten your names. I'm so sorry. It's been a long day already. Okay. Um, if you wouldn't mind introducing your uh, introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about Saints Rest and uh, about uh, the film. Sure. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Um, my name is Nogash Kanazi. I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I directed Saints Rest and co-wrote it with Tyson Stock. Saints Rest is a musical drama about um, two sisters who haven't seen each other since their mother passed away several years ago, and they find an opportunity to reconnect over the course of a summer uh, in a small town in Iowa called Grinnell. Uh, Saints Rest is the name of the coffee shop where one of the sister works at. And so uh, this, this coffee shop actually exists. Uh, we all went to college in this small town in Iowa. So uh, it's, it's this magical place where local music is being performed. And uh, we really fell in love with it and wanted to capture the spirit of this small town and of this coffee shop. Um, so it's really uh, an intimate drama about sisters' relationship and, uh, you know, small town versus big city. Lots of themes about what home means to them. Um, and, uh, and of course, it, it involves uh, a lot of gorgeous original music that was written for the film, um, musically directed by Brian Cavanaugh-Strong, who's right here next to me. So anything you guys want to add? I'm Brian Cavanaugh-Strong. I'm the music director of Saints Rest. Uh, Noga spoke a lot to what the piece is about. The role of music in the film uh, is in ways uh, the way the music functions in a classical musical where a character is singing uh, a song that reflects how they feel. Um, what I like about the role of music in this film is that the characters themselves are curious about music in their lives. Uh, one of their protagonists named Joni... Uh, wrote songs when she was a young person and uh, I think as she's grown up music has kind of uh, fallen away from her pa the center of her, her life and her passions and so um, I like how uh, the music in the film represents her reconnecting with, uh, with her past and I'm Tyson Stock I'm the co-writer um, they've pretty much summed up the movie pretty well I guess I would just add um, one thing is that the three of us um, went to college together and so we ended up filming the movie in the town that we went to college, Grinnell, Iowa and we, uh, the title of the film Saints Rest comes from the local coffee shop that everyone around the town goes to and loves and that they play original music there frequently so that was sort of the uh, initial uh, genesis of the idea of the film five years ago Did you guys have any trouble like locking down filming locations or were they very receptive to the idea of having you know in particular Saints Rest having a movie named after them set at the place like did you have any struggles with that or how was the film the uh, the production itself how did that go Great question. Um, we were very lucky because um, it, it really takes a village, as they say. You know, this whole town, this whole community of Grinnell, Iowa, came to um, to help us make this film together. We couldn't have done it without them. From the locations, like you mentioned, people um, volunteering their spaces, uh, letting us shut down streets and businesses, coffee shop. Um, to having actual community members come and be extras in the film for free, volunteering their time, to businesses volunteering catering services, and all the way to the college itself letting us use the dorms for housing for a month and a half, which is huge, as you know, for a, a small independent film. 
um, to receive such support that translates into financial support as well. So we really had um, all the help we could get from this town, and, and we're very lucky. Uh, yeah, it's it's been going around here all day. Um, that's that's incredible. Like when you said when you said that they offered the dorms, I was like, oh, you guys shot in the dorm. It's like no housing. That's that's insane. Like that is incredible. Um, and it speaks to you know just how welcoming that community must have been for you guys. That's that's really fantastic. Um, what was the inspiration for the story and and how did it come about? Because it uh, I haven't I haven't been able to see it yet, but uh, from the sound of it, it, sounds like it deals with some very kind of emotionally charged things while also balancing that with you know music and and everything. So how did how did the the plot and, and the story come together and, and uh, what was the inspiration? Well, Noga's pointing me to answer, although I think she would be better to answer this. But um, So I think there are a couple crossroads of different things. Um, I grew up in a small town very similar to Grinnell, Iowa, and there was always music in my life. And I think we liked the idea of characters um, playing songs, but more for themselves than necessarily for an audience or a way to get famous. Um, so we wanted to showcase how there's a lot of creative arts and, and creativity in, in small towns, even if it doesn't have the same ambition that you might s- typically see in the movies. And then I'll pass it on to Noga to talk more about the re- relationship of the sisters. Um, sure. I, I have a twin sister, and our relationship is, is very different than from the one in, depicted in the film, but um, you know, I've dealt with loss of a parent, and I felt like that was... Um, a story that was personal to me and I wanted to tell. And uh, I'm originally from Tel Aviv, Israel, so I'm not an American filmmaker. And part of the storyline of Saints Rest uh, has to do with a, an Israeli character making a choice whether to stay in the States um, and marry her American uh, partner or um, move back home and what home means to her. Um, I think the sisters are also struggling with the same question of uh, what does it mean to stay in Grinnell, Iowa and uh, give up some career aspirations you may only be able to achieve in a big city? Um, so a lot of the themes in the film are very personal to me and to, I think, Tyson. And, and so um, that's where the inspiration came from. That's very interesting. I'm very uh, excited to see it. And judging from what I could gather online and everything is that you guys have been going through the festival circuit for, for a while now. Um, how has the experience been kind of going from uh, different festivals? And have you been to Heartland before for any other films or anything? Um, we've had a great experience at film festivals so far, and we hope to continue uh, traveling with the film uh, for a while. We uh, we premiered in, in March at the River Run International Film Festival in North Carolina, and we we won the audience award there, which was really exciting. Um, we are super excited to be here in Indiana. From here, from here on, we continue to D.C. and Minneapolis and uh, have been doing the Midwest, Chicago, Iowa. Um, so... Yeah, we've just been really lucky to have such a warm reception by audiences, and um, and we are so, we've heard so many great things about Heartland. I've never been here, but I've been wanting to come here. So um, yeah, we're excited to be here. Well, uh, welcome to Indianapolis, <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, and best of luck with with the film and everything. Uh, I can't wait to see it. I'm I'm gonna see it at some point during the run, um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great, perfect. Um, and uh, yeah, is there 
uh, you already said film uh, festivals coming up and everything. You, you guys have just gotten here, so you guys haven't really uh, experienced that. What's on the docket for you for the festival, I guess, would be my next question. Um, so, unfortunately, we're only here for 24 hours or less. Yeah, really quick stop for us, but um, we are excited to meet and meet and mingle with filmmakers and, and meet the festival staff and programmers and um we're going to be screening at the amc tonight so uh yeah we're just uh excited to experience the the vibe of heartland and um and hope people come and enjoy the film perfect well thank you guys so much for your time and uh and yeah hopefully you guys have a great uh time here a great 24 hours in uh, heartland and a great uh festival run for for the rest of the film so pleasure meeting you guys yep mm-hmm. yep you too all right well i'm uh, from the obsessive viewer podcast and uh yeah how's it going um you're here for spare room um which looks i haven't had a chance to see it yet but it looks really uh really interesting to me and really uh fascinating can you speak about the film and and uh and kind of introduce yourself maybe? sure my name is james portalis i produce spare room um it's about a soldier in afghanistan who loses his best friend um and it's his fault that he lost his best friend so he goes back to middle America to find his, the widow, his, his wife, and kind of explain what happened in battle. Um, when he gets there, he, the widow has a young brother who has Down syndrome, and the soldier and the boy become really good friends, and he finds himself being attracted to this woman now. And so now he doesn't want to tell her really what happened, and it's, so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a complicated love story dealing with PTSD so she's dealing with PTSD because she lost her husband and he's dealing with because he lost his best friend and how they kind of come together and, and deal with their pain together is you know it, it's it's pretty moving yeah they uh, Heartland they, they showed the preview of that at the uh, at the opening night uh, party and it just it looks like uh, kind of an, a raw emotional kind of kind of film that's Play like like use uh, showcases a lot of different types of like you said PTSD, just attraction and, and how how people can kind of come together and it looks like it's it's a really phenomenal uh, film that's really um, at home here in, in Heartland. Um, yeah, the writer is from Chicago and I'm I'm from South Bend. Um, I went to IU and I went to school with the writer and. So she she kind of set it to give it a Midwestern feel. And even though we shot it in L.A., we found this kind of small town called Piru, which looks like, you know, Brown County, Indiana, just like the small kind of town. And, and you know, we, no palm trees just made it look really authentic. And that was the main thing, just to make it feel like this world is really real. That's what we really tried to do. So, Well, that's that's fantastic. Um, can you speak about the, about the filmmaking process and, and how... Uh how how the film came together? Yeah, I mean, Laura. So Laura wrote the script and sent it to me, um, and she said, you know, what do you think about it? And she lives in Chicago, and and I loved it. And I'm like, whatever you need, I'll 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 do it. And she's like, well, she's like, my family's gonna fund the movie. My family's gonna pay for it. And I was like, you know, I want to talk to them. I want to tell them how big the risk is before they write any checks because it's a it's a you know there's no guarantees. And they were all. You know, they believed in it, and and I let them know that you know I don't see any money until they get their money back. So I'm going to work just as hard, you know, to get their money back. And so we were 
you know, it was rare because it was the rare time that you read a script and like, oh yeah, and it's it's finance because that I mean that never ever ever happens. So, um, but the hard part was it was three hundred thousand dollars. So, and with that, the most days I could I could schedule was ten days. So we we shot the movie in ten days with you know with an Afghanistan war flashback, which you know, uh, if it had been anybody but my friend we'd be talking about the Afghanistan flashback instead of showing the Afghanistan flashback, oh, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. it is, oh, remember, you know, the war, but, like, I, I wanted to find a way to, to show it, and, yeah. And, yeah. and we did, so, but it was, you know, um, people were getting less than they're usually getting paid, and so we didn't, we only worked, like, 11-hour days because I didn't want to, I didn't want to kill the crew, you know? Right. So people, people really believed in it, and um, it seemed to work, you know? We got a great cast, and, uh, Billy Bob Thornton did the music for the movie for free, you know, just, you know, amazing. Just, just, it was one of the things where that all just kind of comes together and, you know, um, but we're really proud of it. That's incredible. And also just the inclusion of, of a flashback sequence like that, like it sounds like it would really, really inform the narrative in a very distinctive way. And it's really fascinating and, and really admirable that you know you, you guys stuck to that and you, you went with that uh, as opposed to just uh, talking about it in, in dialogue. Yeah, there's always a way to do it so like you know when, when you know so that this set it's, it's this you know there's Afghan caves and there's a whole Iraqi town and there's army barracks and there's military vehicles and every show on CBS shoots there every week you know and this is a $25,000 a day location but you call them like, hey, can we come in on Sunday? The location is four thousand dollars. So there's there's always ways to get it done. And you know the director Jenica Brazier, like she's just a force of nature, and actors will follow her into battle. Like they're you know she just has this this power. And Mary Bernie, our casting director, you know she just did a Star Is Born. So I mean, you know she did the latest Star Wars, and you know she did um, you know just all these gigantic movies and. So she got us this incredible cast, and we all just kind of pulled the resources that we could to, to make it happen. So, well, that's fantastic! Congratulations on that. And uh, have you been to Heartland before? Is this uh, how how is your experience? Been? I had a film here in 2014 called All Stars um, okay. with uh, John Goodman and Fred Willard and Angela Kinsey from The Office, and it was a comedy about. Um, eight-year-old girls softball with the crazy parents in the stand so it was a it was like a mockumentary with these you know insane parents and played really well here we had great crowds so this was when we were getting ready to do our festival run you know i told my team i'm like if we can premiere in heartland that would be great and that's so tonight's our world premiere so it it worked it worked out perfectly so nice my parents are coming tomorrow to the screening from south bend so it's it's great that's fantastic that's 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 great and heartland is Obviously, I've been covering it for the last several years. It's just, it's a really great place, and uh, it's nice to have something like this in my backyard. Um, (laughs) I I just went to get my ticket, and they're like, oh, we're sorry, your screening tonight sold out. And and I'm like, I'm the I produce, I can't come to my, I just flew in a red eye, like, and they're like, no, a producer can, like, and, you know, just, but just to hear that the film sold out, you know, we just arrived here and they've they've done such a great job, you know, spreading the word and, I mean, that's unheard of, you know, I've been to festivals where, I won't name the festival, but, like, it was myself and the director and two people in the screening room. Oh, wow. And I was like, I'm like, no offense, but, like, I don't need to see my movie again. Like, I've seen my right. movie. Like, this is for the community to come and see. And 
and I knew we wouldn't have that here because it's, it's always great crowds and great, you know, they, they know how to market it and back it and stuff. It's great. Oh, yeah, and they've grown it into something just massive so it's it's really great to be able to have conversations with filmmakers like yourself that's just it's really amazing to me um do you have any other um uh festivals on the in the pipeline for our listeners who aren't we're going to um new filmmakers la next week and then um we go to savannah in georgia for a week and then we go to napa the next week so these next four weeks are just you know zigzagging across the country but we're we're really proud to premiere it here to have our world premiere here so well that's fantastic i can't wait to see the film and uh yeah congratulations on everything and yeah yeah no problem and uh yeah take care yeah Hey guys, just cutting in here. Those were the recordings from the press junket from Friday. Uh, the one for Nathan's Kingdom was actually from today, from Sunday, the 14th. Um, so we got a lot of recording <laughs> done over the course of this weekend. Um, so I've decided to split this up into two episodes. Now, you've already heard um, everything from the first press junket that I did. And then I'm going to kind of wind down this episode with uh, Mining Kirsten's review of The Bikes of Wrath. Um, who you heard me uh, interview the filmmakers um, about an hour and a half ago um, in the recording. So uh, we're going to go into Mining Kirsten's review of The Bikes of Wrath, and then there should be an additional episode of The Obsessive Viewer posting very soon after this one. Uh, that will be all of the recordings from the second press junket that I did, as well as uh, Mining Kirsten's short review of the documentary Crime and Punishment. Um, so yeah, so thank you so much to the filmmakers and to Heartland for uh, setting up the press junkets for, for me and everything. And uh, thank you for the filmmakers for you know uh, talking to me. And also thank you to Tony Troxel from Geeky in Indiana, who he uh, loaned me his one of his one of his uh, recorders to do the field recording on. So it's been a huge help, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, so yeah, so here is uh, Mining Kirsten's review of the Bikes of Wrath. Thank you, and well, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> And Kirsten, did you have a chance to look through the guidebook or anything? I flipped through it. Oh, okay. I, any any films like stand out or anything? Radium like Girls. Yes. That was the, that was one that I I just mm-hmm. thought I really wanted to see. Yeah, I'm very excited to see that too. And we were supposed to see it today, but yeah. they actually sold out. That's that's one of the uh, uh, huge Wikipedia holes I fell down one time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's mm-hmm. there's there's so much that is so just fucked up about that whole right. the whole story. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we saw the trailer for the for the movie at the opening night party, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, ever since seeing that, I just I've really wanted to see it. Now, Kirsten, we just saw the Bikes of Wrath. What did. did you think of it? It was so good, right? It was really good. It was beautiful oh, yeah. and poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I've never read the Grapes of Wrath. I was Me supposed neither. to in high school, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, so I <laughs> uh, such a rebel. Going, going, and I didn't even have a cause. Um, going into it, I I wasn't like super well. I mean, I knew generally it was about people during, um, you know, leave, leaving the Dust Bowl and, yeah. and everything. But I I I didn't really know you know specifically what it was about. But it was mm-hmm. it was a really great movie that did a good job of putting into perspective how trying mm-hmm. the journey would have been for those people 
um, and how much it has affected their descendants even today. Mm-hmm. You know, living in poverty, how, you know, something like that is so difficult to escape even generations down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just the, I don't, like the story of, like, as you heard in the recording, the story is just these five Australian guys mm-hmm. that are, uh, they just, they drop themselves yeah. in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're retracing the, the route that the characters in the Grapes of Wrath took out yeah. of the Dust Bowl with the same amount of money adjusted for inflation right. as they started out with. And like this, this documentary just shows like the, the whole, um, the, the depth of human kindness. Yes. Yeah, the depth of human yeah. kindness and like just how people can just be completely hospitable and yeah. so friendly to just they, complete strangers. They had people who were giving them all free meals, who were mm-hmm. putting them up, you know, in their own homes. They oh, had yeah. people who were giving them money. Uh, it was real great. And part of me wonders, like, you know, would they have been so generous if these people weren't making a documentary? Right. But part of me wants to think, yes, they would be. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's it, – part of it speaks to kind of the um, – it it kind of sheds light on not sheds light on the stereotype, but it kind of washes away the stereotype of just, you know, middle America, kind of like rural America yeah. as being ignorant farmers, ignorant farmers you know, and, yeah. yeah. And like and like bigoted farmers. Yeah. And stuff, like like that kind of archetype. They they definitely reflected back that they, they um made a a, a great parallel mm-hmm. between what the what the Okies when they mm-hmm. showed up in California and um, modern day immigrants in the United States, Absolutely. they definitely paralleled that very well. Oh yeah, and it said like it included a lot of information about the Dust Bowl and everything yeah. as well, which I I wasn't too familiar with. I thought that was really interesting. And it was beautifully shot. The footage that gorgeous. they that they obtained on their trip was oh, yeah. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. A- absolutely. They, and they just shot it all themselves while they yep. were biking. It oh, was yeah. it was really um it was really I'm really glad that we saw that movie. It was very it was beautiful. Oh yeah. And the yeah. filmmakers were in attendance and uh like they just seemed like the like super down to earth guys that mm-hmm. that are really uh really friendly and cool. So. Oh, and they they took yeah. questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. I was able to ask a question. Yes. So they they started the trip with four hundred and twenty four hundred and twenty dollars for the five of them. Mm-hmm. And their plan was they were going to busk. Uh, they all had instruments. They were going to mm-hmm. busk um for money. And they ended up not having to do that as much as they thought they were going right. to because so many people were donating and and mm-hmm. giving them free meals. Um, but I asked them, I uh, how much money did they have at the end of the trip? Mm-hmm. And uh, twenty five dollars, even yep. with people donating hundreds of dollars, mm-hmm. giving them free meals and lodging, they still like if if people hadn't been so generous as generous as they, they were, would not have been able to. They do wouldn't it. have made it. Oh yeah, they absolutely because they were. Traveling light, they were you know yeah. eating canned oh, goods yeah. and I mean it, they, they were bare essentials. Oh, they yeah. were camping outside when they when they didn't have a free place to stay. Mm-hmm. They weren't splurging on anything. You know they sold their trailers, they sold yeah. their instruments partway through the trip. Um, and and it's just it's it's amazing that they after all of that, all of that, they only had twenty five dollars left. Absolutely, and like there are shots of like just shots intercut throughout the film where it just shows them. Uh, literally just sleeping in the grass by yeah. the, by the, by the highway. Yeah. They would sleep um, behind dumpsters yeah. at night. They would throw down a tarp if they mm. didn't have a place to pitch their tent. It was, yep. they were really like, you know, just really committed to it. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's such an admirable feat that they, 
that they went through that. Yeah. And uh, the way it's documented in the film is just really, yeah. really engaging and, and yeah. uh, interesting. And and it got and it just it looks so hard. Oh it's yeah. Just, it like that that I mean it almost feels insurmountable. Like I don't Absolutely. I couldn't have done it. You yeah, know. I like about fifteen minutes into it, I, like I turned to you and I was like, that looks exhausting. Yeah. I like, one one thing that that I thought was really interesting was when they at the end of the movie they showed mm-hmm. like they had taken before shots of their own legs, yes. and then they showed <laughs> after shots, mm-hmm. and it was like the the difference and how mm-hmm. how tan and how dirty yep. their legs were from cycling Just, for thirty days. Oh, yeah. In yeah, the, the, it was uh, amazing the difference. Oh yeah, and like the issues that they, the pieces of adversity that they faced, just in the general uh, bicycling adventure, mm-hmm. uh, was really intense. Like, and like I was like wondering, I won't give anything away, but like about twenty minutes into the movie, I was like. Is this going to turn into a different documentary about like, oh, they gave up and they, something else happened? Because yeah. I'm sitting there thinking like, already they, yeah. things have happened that I'm like, I, <laughs> I would be like, okay, I'm going back to yeah. Australia, guys. I, I, I love, I love the bit where they, and they cut it together perfectly. There mm-hmm. were, they were, yes. p- before they left for the trip, they were like, <laughs> well, if one of us can't go on, I don't think the rest of us would go on. I think we would, you know, we would wait. We, we want to stay together as a group. And they immediately cut to, <laughs> well, so the four of us are going to leave in the morning and then you can catch up with us later. Right. <laughs> I was like, that's just, so that's just, great. you know, they, I think they went into it with very mm-hmm. idealistic expectations oh, yeah. of what the trip was going to be. Mm-hmm. I think they thought it was going to be difficult. Yeah. Oh, but I think that they, there, there was a little bit that, like they said they had like, you know, the image in their mind of like yeah. idealistic middle America, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then the reality of it was very different from, Absolutely. you know, what they expected going in. And they also had a uh, very minimal cycling experience yeah i expected that they were gonna be like guys who bike all the time but they were like yeah we don't really bike and i'm like how did you do that that's like us getting up and just biking like right that's insane that's crazy i would have died surprise for your birthdays anyway ah Um, no (laughs) hard pass um yeah so so yeah that's the bikes of wrath i i was very um taken with and very impressed with it yeah. and the filmmakers are, are really cool so i'm yeah. glad that i got a chance to talk to them and i'm glad that you, we got a chance to see it all right and that's gonna do it for this uh first episode uh first heartland episode of obsessive viewer uh for heartland 2018 um yeah stay tuned for our next episode is gonna have more um filmmaker uh interviews as well as a review of crime and punishment featuring me and kirsten the review not the documentary um all right well uh thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time now we're recording okay yes yes okay baby baby she's just a little baby no, everything else is normal. Just the word oh, baby. Yeah. She's just a little baby. <laughs> she looked over at us like, are you serious right now? Why, why are you saying one of my names? <laughs> <laughs> because she thinks it's her name. Yeah. Yeah. Pizza, <sighs> make the dreams come true? No? Okay. She didn't even look at you. She didn't. No, Dad, I'm going to uh, take a shit. I'm going to go ahead and take a shit. <laughs> Stick it up real good. (laughs) This is what I think about you having Kirsten over. 
All right. Well, let's yeah. not watch your okay. cat poop. Let's- <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not Thursday. Um, the implication is that I watched my cat poop. I get Thursdays. the implication. Yeah. I didn't laugh because it's, I didn't think it was a joke. It's, it's so let's do this. Wait till you find I'm my sleepy. tumbler. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> do you say wait till you find my tumbler? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I need to leave as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, 10 seconds of silence for the ambient noise. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlight from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.